So good to see you. Greetings as well to those of you that are part of online church this weekend. Thank you for uh, joining us and being part of our family that way. Uh, grateful, grateful that you can. I want to thank those. Some of you are back, so I want to say thanks to those that uh, helped us with a missional move to Saturday. Some are here because they're serving uh, on Sunday too. If you could prayerfully consider doing that for us, that would be awesome. And uh, we're doing this summer nights, which was incredible. There were so many fun family things going on. It was just a great chance for us to connect with one another. If you want to give Saturday a try, this would be a good time for you to do that because we're gathering together afterwards for the summer nights. And it'd be a missional move too because we're going to need some space in here as the fall comes. So if you could help me with that, that would be wonderful. So thank you guys. Good to see you. Um, we are starting a new, are you ready for this? This is a long one for me, eight week series on the book of First Peter. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And I'm really excited about this. This was Always one of my mom's favorite books. She studied it like crazy. And I'm excited to take the next several weeks to walk through this amazing book together. So we're going to jump in. And I want to set it up by giving you some, some uh, just understanding of the author of this, uh, this, this book that we're going to be we're reading together. One of my priorities as we walk through this series is to not lose touch with the person of Peter, the guy that wrote this. Because when you know his story, which we know much of from Scripture... It makes this passage come alive in a different kind of way. When you understand his heart, when you understand his history, when you know his story, it just uh, reads differently and will understand this differently. This book is actually part of his response to a God-given challenge and calling. And I want to talk about that. If we're keeping it real today, Peter also seems like a highly unlikely candidate to do any of what I just talked about. Like he's not the guy that you think would be part of the early church, nor a guy whose, whose writing would resonate over thousands of years to where today we're going to open up this passage of scripture and read it together. Yet that is exactly what happens. He seems like an unlikely candidate to be chosen to keep things rolling when Jesus himself goes back to heaven. This guy doesn't seem like he'd be the one that we would choose for that. And yet there's something very inspirational in that. His name wasn't always Peter. His name originally was Simon. And uh, he was a Galilean fisherman. I like that because I like to call myself a fisherman. So I can connect with him in that just a little bit. He had a brother named Andrew. I have a brother named Andrew. Andrew was actually the one that introduced uh, Simon to Jesus. And they, Andrew and Simon were both first disciples of John the Baptist before they became disciples of Jesus. Simon was married, and scriptures tell us that he had a house in Capernaum. Now, I want to, I think this is vital for us. I want to take a couple of uh, looks here, real quick, at, at Peter's first interactions with Jesus, because they'll set the tone for this series that we're heading into. Peter seems to be a run of the mill, shockingly normal, yet very excitable dude. Uh, he's a gut guy. He speaks his mind, and he also speaks his mind often without thinking first. You ever know someone like that? You might just be looking at someone like that. <laughs> so I do have a, a connection with Peter. Uh, and, and so uh, Jesus uh, is introduced to Peter and Andrew, and not long after, Jesus personally calls Simon to quit fishing for fish and start fishing for men. And I want you to see what happened after Jesus makes this invite. It says in Mark chapter 1, verse 18, look at this. And they left their nets at once. Can you say at once with me? At once. That means right now. 
They dropped their nets and they took off and they followed him. That's how this all gets started. However, his relationship with Jesus is a lot like ours. It had a lot of ups and it had a lot of downs. He, he loved Jesus. He loved Jesus. But he was also a guy who knew how to blow it big time. He made a lot of mistakes. And uh, just like we do, he was a sinner just like me and just like you. Yet Jesus was super patient with him, uh, just like he is with us. Peter seemed like the guy that would take a few steps forward in his walk with Jesus, only to take three steps backwards, just like us. That's why I love this guy. He wasn't even close to perfect, and he often made progress the hard way, just like us. But he loved Jesus. And Jesus saw in Simon something that Simon couldn't see in himself. And here's what's super cool. Our Heavenly Father had a plan for Simon, just like he has a plan for you and me. So I want to pick up the story of his life in Matthew chapter 16. Early in his relationship with Jesus, he had this powerful conversation with Jesus. And Jesus asks this important question that we need to ask ourselves today, too. This one matters. In verse 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? The Son of Man is how Jesus described himself. As a matter of fact, that's also from the book of Daniel. Look at verse 14. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Look at verse 15. Then Jesus looks at them, and here's the question. But who do you say I am? I'd like to tell you guys, that's the most important question that you could ask yourself. Who do you say Jesus is? Look how Simon Peter answered. He said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now look at verse 18. This is a moment, a pivotal moment in in his life, in verse 18, Jesus says, Now I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock. This is a name change. Before Dwayne Johnson, <laughs> Jesus changed his name to Peter the Rock. Now look what he says. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Woo! You talk about a calling. Simon's like, wait, what? What? Listen, this is so cool. Jesus knew what he was talking about because here we are some 2,000 years later and you and I, we're the church. And you know what? The gates of hell still can't stop the church. We are here and we are on mission just like Peter was on mission. We are, that's a good reason to clap. Just like Peter was on mission. Listen, we're on mission. We're going to learn a lot from this guy. Jesus had found in Peter a real believer. And on that foundation, he knew that he could build the church. His life, of course, was completely full, like a roller coaster of ups and downs. But for us, you and me who know we're a mess too, Peter's life does something for us. He's the kind of leader that we can relate to. His imperfections, guys, they're kind of endearing. And the progress that we see being made in Peter's life and the calling that God had for him and the difference that he makes, that's an encouragement to me too. Throughout the life of Peter, we learn that even though life can be very tough and even though we can completely blow it, listen, God is good. God is good. You need to remember this, that God does perfect work. 
through imperfect people. That would have been a great moment to clap. So I'm going to do this one more time. Because this is you and me. God does perfect work through imperfect people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, there's hope. There's hope for Peter. That means there's hope for Doug. And if there's hope for Peter, that means there's hope for you. There's hope for anyone. Peter was more times than not, listen, a very real hot mess. That's who he was. But listen, guys, here's what made the difference. God has a plan, and God's plan is good. God's plan is not easy, but God's plan is good. And that was the secret sauce to Peter's success, that God had a plan, and Peter was part of God's plan. And here's what we need to know this weekend. That's the secret to our lives, too. God has a plan, and we need to say yes to his plan. So we're going to keep taking a look at Peter as we walk through uh, this, this passage of Scripture that he wrote. About, but you will remember that there was a moment, right, during Holy Week, as Jesus is heading to the cross, that he has this very challenging conversation with Peter. And he tells Peter, he says, listen, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter resists to that. And he says, no, there's no way I'll do that. And yet we see that is exactly what happened. Peter denies Jesus three times. What's interesting to me is uh, what must have felt like a complete failure to Peter becomes a vitally important aspect to his story, his calling, and his ministry. So it's out of the overflow of this redemptive work of God in Peter's life that he became the leader that he is. And you can imagine, you, you guys know if you've studied leadership at all, passing the baton from one leader to the next leader is tough, isn't it? Now listen, it, it's even tougher if you have to follow in leadership a legend. Can you imagine following Jesus, though? Like, hey, Peter, you're the guy. Okay, like, so I need your help. We're going to keep this church thing rolling, and you're the guy I'm choosing. And he's like, with me? Me? This is the most challenging leadership handoff in the history of humanity. Jesus chooses Peter. And listen, listen. Jesus chooses you, too. Chooses you, too. I want you to see what happens. After he had um, gone through this uh, situation of, predicting this and then Jesus went to the cross and he goes to the grave and he comes out of the grave then Jesus meets with Peter on the shores of a lake how many times did Peter disown him three and three times Jesus asks Peter do you love me one of those times is John chapter 21 verse 16 Jesus asked Peter this question Simon son of John do you love me yes Lord Peter said you know I love you. And here was Jesus' challenge. Then take care of my sheep. Guys, do you know what we get a chance to take a look at together? Part of the way that Peter took care of his sheep. Fast forward a couple thousand years. He's still taking care of his sheep if we'll allow the word of God to speak to us and challenge us as we walk through this amazing letter together, be encouraged today. Peter had dropped the ball a bunch of times, but his failures didn't disqualify him or define him, just like your failures don't disqualify or define you. This is so beautiful that in God's grace, he uses all of our failures, he uses all of our imperfections to qualify us for even greater ministry because we've learned and we've grown through our failures. You see, there's no one more qualified to talk about the redemptive hand of God than someone 
who's truly experienced the redemptive hand of God. That is beautiful. So rather than our mistakes defining us, because we've experienced God's grace and forgiveness, see, we switch the flip. We flip the switch. And our failures then become part of the credibility and the catalyst for true ministry, enabling us to become agents of the good news, ambassadors of the gospel, because we've experienced it ourselves. So the moral of Peter's story is the moral of our story. And that is that you are more than your personality, your past, or your problems. Because of God at work in your life, it's that very presence and power of God in you and me that qualifies us to do great things for God. So we need to pick up this story, 1 Peter. And 1 Peter chapter 5 is where I want to start because Peter tells us why he's writing this letter. And so I think if we're going to understand the letter, we better start with what Peter said was the very reason why he wrote this letter in the beginning. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, this is what he says. I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas. So Silas was a ministry partner of his. He continues, and he says this, Whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. Here we go. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. And then he finishes this, this verse with this statement, Stand firm in this grace. Whew. I like it already. What is he saying? When you know Peter's story, see, this all means something differently to us when we're connected to the real person that Peter was and the ups and downs of life and God's calling in his life. Peter's stepping up his leadership game here. It sounds pretty great to me because I could use some encouragement, guys. It sounds pretty great to me because I can use some assurance. And listen, I can use the pep talk that Peter's talking about here that says to me and says to you, listen, stand firm in God's grace. Stay connected to it. This is important. So we all need this. This could be a great series. Welcome to 1 Peter. This is good. So let's jump in. Let's first look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. All praise to God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. So Peter is setting the tone here right from the very beginning for the next nine verses that we're going to look at together this morning. This is all about living deeply connected to the great expectation that we have because of what Jesus has done. One of the reasons that I like Peter is because he was a fisherman, and I like to call myself a fisherman, right? I'm not a very good one. But one of the things that I've learned, because I love to fly fish, is that you have to continue to mend your line. What does that mean? So after you cast your, your fly into the water, you have to make sure that there's not so much line out in the water that if a fish hits it, you don't have time to set the hook. Make sense? So you have to keep mending the line with regularity. Or else what happens is, all of us that have ever fly fished know we've missed more fish than we've caught because we didn't stay connected. We didn't stay closely connected to our fly in the water. And I think it's interesting that Peter was a fisherman, and he's saying to us today, listen, stay connected, stay connected, stay closely connected. And what is it that we need to stay closely connected to? This great expectation. Peter's focus here is vital for all of us because of God's great mercy, because we've been born again through him, because Jesus is alive. We live with a great uh, sense of expectation. He says at the end of that verse, now we live with great expectation. 
So when I'm reading that, I'm thinking, that sounds like an awesome main thought. And that's what it is for this weekend. So our challenge as we head into the week ahead of us is to live with great expectation. So let's look at verse 4. There's a bright future ahead. What is this great expectation? Look at verse 4. And we have a priceless inheritance, Peter says. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. What kind of inheritance? Look, it is pure. It is undefiled and beyond the reach of change and decay. Sound good? And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So let me talk to you about this expectation. This is not a false hope. This is a living hope. And what's interesting, as we're going to see, is that this hope is not based on our circumstances. But rather, this is a definitive hope. This is something we can count on. This is something we can build the foundation of our life on. This is something we need to stay connected or tethered, or we need to keep mending the line so that our soul stays connected to this expectation. This is an ironclad hope that you and I can live with in our lives today. It's a, it's a take-it-to-the-bank baby kind of hope. We can count on this, guys. The kind of hope that we have to stay connected to. That's why our challenge as we head into the week that is ahead of us, live with great expectation. So Peter isn't messing around here. He's telling us from the get-go, guys, look, here's what I've learned. Here's what you need to learn. This is the key. And if you want to do this right, if you want to walk with Jesus well, and if you want to make a difference in this world, stay connected to this expectation that we have of what is on the other side when we make it to eternity one day. And yet, what I see so interesting in Peter's writing is that he's also a very realistic person. It's not that he's saying life won't have its challenges. Look at verse 6. He says, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Wow. I love that Peter's not just trying to give us this pie in the sky. Hey, guys, it's all great. Just stay connected. Keep thinking about eternity. He's saying, listen, part of the reason why we have to stay connected to eternity is this life can be rough. This life can be a challenge. There will be difficulties. Just this morning when I was coming in, there's a pastor, a friend of mine. He's in, um, in the state of Washington, and we pray together almost every Sunday as we're heading into church together. And, and uh, so we were just talking. He's like, hey, how's it going? And I was like, it's kind of rough. It's not like there aren't challenges. And he goes, well, he's got uh, something I say about that. I was like, all right, lay it on me. He said, if you think that life isn't going to be without challenges, when the challenges come, they're more challenging. But if you know that life is going to have challenges, when the challenges come, you're going to be able to deal with it a little bit better. That's basically what Peter is saying here too. Stay focused on what really matters. And listen, we need to pause for just a second, guys, because this has been a very, very difficult season. Just a couple of weeks ago, one of the young men in our 20s and 30s uh, ministry uh, passed away. He's 27 years old, I think. And on Friday night, right here in Castle Rock, four students from Castleview High School were in a horrible automobile accident. They were hit by a drunk driver, and two students that were going to be seniors this year passed away. And we are grieving in our community. This town is small enough that I guarantee you, sitting here today and listening to my voice at home, our people that knew of and had connection to these students. 
in God's providence somehow. He worked it out that we would be talking about eternity today. This hope is not based on our circumstances. But what I can promise you is this is the exact hope that we need when our hearts are grieving. It doesn't make the pain go away. But today we're reminded eternity is real. Life can be short. We need to stay focused on eternity. Because it's so easy for us to get our eyes off of that, isn't it? Peter knows what he's talking about here. It's not a denial of reality. Rather, this is hope for one that reframes our reality. Just this week, I was having breakfast with a plum creaker. I love him dearly. He's been part of our church for a very long time, and he's suffering with Parkinson's. And I hadn't seen him for, for a little while, and he was sharing with me, and obvi- it was obvious, too, some of the ways that this disease is taking a toll on his body. And it's hard to see. It's hard to watch. This wasn't his plan or his family's plan for his retirement. But as he was describing all that he's dealing with and the, the reality that he's faced with, he kept talking about Jesus. And barring a miracle of God, this could take his life. But he also talked about eternity. You see, there's something very different about staying connected to that. And we need to stay connected to that together. So I want you to check out what Peter writes next, because we need to live with great expectation. What I read now is what I saw in Mark this week. It's what we need as we walk through this week that lies ahead of us. Look at verse 7. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. It's interesting to me that Peter understands that suffering and even persecution is real. This letter, when he wrote it, was sent to to Christ followers that were being persecuted, that were dealing with and walking through very difficult and horrific circumstances and situations. Life isn't always easy. And I I just, there's something about the way Peter's writing here that, that causes me to appreciate the fact that he's not trying to be dismissive of the reality of the challenge of life. And isn't it interesting that we often try and, and make there be no trouble in life, don't we? And like I said earlier, we can't, we can't deal with the difficulties we face the way we should if we expect that life should always be easy. But there's also something here I've, I didn't, I've never seen before. Peter uses the image of fire being what's testing us. These trials are like fire that purifies gold. And you see, it's also important for us to stay connected historically to what's taking place when Peter is writing these very words that we're reading today. Because just a few years after Peter writes this letter, Nero, the emperor Nero, destroys Rome with fire. But you know who he accused of starting the fire when he did it himself? The Christians. And so now Christ's followers are facing persecution because they've been falsely accused 
of starting this fire that destroyed Rome. The, destroyed, destroyed Rome. In addition, this emperor Nero is not a good man. He's a horrible leader. He would take wild animal skins and wrap Christ followers in these animal skins and send them into the Colosseum to do battle with beasts of the field. And as if that wasn't bad enough, he would douse them in tar and use them as human torches for the, in the night sky for his dinner parties. And so when you, when you read what Peter is saying, I don't know if it was some, some, some divine inspiration from God that literal fire would be what these Christ followers were going to have to be faced with. But that was what they ended up being faced with. And we need to be reminded today that our difficulties and our struggles, they pale in comparison to what is to come. Now, that's not a denial of reality. But instead, when we stay tethered to and our soul stays connected to eternity, see, it reframes our reality for today. How does that happen? How does that happen? How do we reframe our day? How do we reframe our challenges and our trials? Look at verse 8. Peter says this, You love him even though you've never seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him. And look what happens. See how your soul comes alive? You rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. So Peter's trying to help us to know how to walk through this life, even though there will be challenges. This is the ultimate prize, the highest meaning in life. This is an eternal reward that can never be taken away. So we must live with great expectation. It's easy, isn't it? To find ourselves lost in the pace of life. And it's very easy for us to get lost when difficulties and challenges come. That's why I believe Peter was telling us these things. So that we would develop a habit, a discipline. It's like lifting weights. It's a muscle that we grow in. Staying connected to the reality of eternity. Stay connected to our eternal hope. Now I want to share something with you as he ends this portion of the passage that we're looking at today. How good is this hope that he's talking about? Look what he says in 1 Peter chapter, or in chapter 1, verse 10. This salvation that we've been talking about was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. Let's just stop for a second because, you see, we could read past this and be like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. No, no, stop for a second. Here's what's happening. Hundreds of years before Jesus was here, there were prophets that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit began to understand and know what we're talking about today. And they were basically, as they were teaching this and as they were communicating this, they were like, what? This is good. Do I get to experience this? Do I get kind of like us, right? Like, tell me more. I want to understand this better. I want to stay connected to this in a, in a different kind of way. Look at verse 12. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. That is just awesome. The prophets of old, as they were being delivered this message to communicate to the people, 
were so fired up deep in their hearts about what they were learning, what they were hearing, what they were learning and understanding. They were like, I want to know this. I want to know about this hope you're talking about. I want to know about this Jesus you're talking about. I want to know. I want to understand. Do I get to experience it? So Peter's trying to give us some powerful perspective here today. And he reminds us, he reminds us how good this is. And here's the last part of verse 12 caught my attention today. And I want it to sink into your heart. We need this today. To be reminded of this today. Look at verse, uh, the last part of verse 12. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Think about that for a second. Those words, eagerly watching, are the very same words that were used to describe the early disciples when they peered into the empty tomb the first time. It's the exact same words. You can imagine, it's almost like all of the heavens are standing on alert, watching it all go down. You know what I believe with my whole heart? They're watching right now. They're watching these things come alive in us. They're going to watch this week as we need so desperately to stay connected to the reality of what Jesus has done for us. They're going to watch this week as we are agents of the message of the gospel and the redemptive work of God because we've experienced it. So they're standing on high alert watching the way that we will do this week. They're watching as the gospel message and the good news unfolds into the reality of all that we're going to face. The angels are fired up about this. So I wonder today, are you eagerly watching? Or has the pace of life or the circumstances of life grabbed your attention so much that you've lost your focus? Or perhaps you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus. So when I talk about these things, this hope, this expectation, the redemptive work of God, you haven't experienced it yet. I have really good news for you today. You can. Now here's what's alarming and disturbing. This week I was reading and there's this institution out of Washington, D.C., a nonprofit that does a public policy Kind of, they conduct in-depth research on the problems that we're facing in our society at a local level, at a national level, and even a global level. And they did this study, and here's the title of the study, American Optimism, Longevity, and the Role of Lost Hope in Deaths of Despair. Can you imagine? And this is what they found. This bothers me deeply. We are the only wealthy country in the world where mortality rates are going up rather than down. This mortality rate is driven mostly by preventable deaths due to suicide, drug overdose, and alcohol-related disease, so-called deaths of despair. So when I read this study this week, you know what you learn pretty quick? Perhaps the American dream is the wrong dream to chase. But see, isn't that what we spend the bulk of our time chasing? And Peter's just saying, guys, please hear me. There's more than that.
There's more than that. We need to keep our souls connected to the right thing. And so, as this American dream seems to be fading, or the pace of life seems to be distracting, or the circumstances that we're facing become so overwhelming today, we need to be reminded that we must have our eyes fixed on our souls connected to this eternal perspective and live with great expectation. You see, living with eternity in mind and an eternal perspective, see, it, cha- it changes everything. It changes everything. Can you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Father, we need you. Our hearts are heavy today. Our community is grieving today. There are students and friends and teachers and counselors and administration, coaches, youth pastors, small group leaders, friends that are suffering today. Our hearts hurt. And we ache today. Father, you know we need what we've talked about. There are people in this room, there are people within the sound of my voice that are watching online that need this today. So Father, will you be real in the middle of all that we're facing? Will you be who you've promised to be, our comforter? Will you walk with us through the very valley of the shadow of death? Will you help us to be agents of what we've talked about today? Lord, we pray for Dan's family and friends. We pray for Colton's family and friends and Audrey's family and friends. Pray for students that are here today. This is not how we anticipated starting this school year. So I pray for teachers and administrators and counselors and parents. The conversations that are going to be had, Lord, we need your help. Walk with us this week with these families that are grieving. Our hearts are heavy. Lord, I realize too, there may be someone listening to my voice that's not experienced what we've talked about, the redemptive hand of God in their life. And so life feels out of control. Focus is just on chasing the American dream. It's not fulfilling. It makes circumstances tough. And maybe that's you today and you recognize your need for Jesus in your life. And the good news is in this very moment, you have an opportunity to say yes to him. And if that's you and you can feel the spirit of God tugging on your heart in this moment, just simply pray with me, God, I need you. I don't want to do this alone. I know that I've fallen short. 
know that my focus is in the wrong place. I ask you for your forgiveness. And I thank you that you paid my debt in full when you went to the cross. I pray now in this moment that you help, help me to experience in a new kind of way what it means to put you on the place of the throne of my life, to be the Lord of my life, so that your power will be at work in me. And Lord, I pray for all of us that have made that decision before that can allow the, the burdens that we carry, the circumstances that we face, and even just the pace of life to take over. As we read Peter's words today from someone that really understood this, from walking with you, experiencing the highs and the lows of life, his first challenge would be stay, stay tethered, keep your soul connected to eternity. Lord, will you help us to do that this week? When the circumstances become overwhelming, help us to stay tethered to eternity. That we would live in full embrace of your redemptive work in our life throughout the course of this week. Change our perspective. Help us, Father. Will you stand to your feet? Father, now as we worship, let these words soak deep into our soul. Because we need to be reminded of what we're talking about today. We need to be reminded of your goodness and who you are. Father, I pray over all of those that are here. I pray for the students that are here today. Bring comfort to their souls. It's in your name. Amen.